You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7, to and we're going to be answering the question, what kind of man do you want to be, raise, or encourage your daughter to marry? But before we look at that, just a couple quick things. First of all, if you haven't had a chance to visit our new website yet, it's located at desirejesus.com, and we have lots of new content up there, and we've been encouraged by those of you who have reached out to us to let us know that you appreciate it. So thank you for uh, passing that information on to us. It's certainly edifying for me to be able to read that and know that you're utilizing the things that we're putting up there. But we have a whole new blog section where we've been taking the transcript of each of the messages and the show notes for each of the the messages that we've been producing here on the podcast and making those available on the website. We also have a a brand new bookstore up there, and there's one other thing you'll notice on the website, and I was hoping that it was going to be up sooner than it was, but it just went live just a couple days ago, and that's this. The newest edition of Desire Jesus, the 30-day devotional that I've been putting out each month, is finally available for free on the website. Desire Jesus Volume 5 can be downloaded whenever you're ready to download it. It'll be up there for a few weeks, and then we'll replace it with Volume 6. But I was a little late in getting Volume 5 out. I've had uh, quite a few things going on recently that have demanded a lot of my free time. And uh, as a result, I was a little bit behind on getting that book uh, actually published and available for free on the website. So it's all my fault, to be honest with you. Uh, If you've been waiting for it, thank you for your patience. But it's available now. Now and for a few weeks, you'll be able to download it for free. So just wanted to let you know about that right away. And um, thank you again to those of you that are utilizing those devotionals and sharing them with others. Feel free to share it with anyone you think might be edified by it or encouraged by it. We're happy to make the content available. Now, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, today we're talking about uh, the idea of what kind of man do you want to be or raise or encourage your daughter to marry? And that's a question that I have to admit I I think about a lot. It's something that I think about from my own perspective. I also think about it in regard to my household and and the children that the Lord's blessed my wife and I to raise. And I also think about the the fact that the Lord's blessed my wife and I with two daughters, and we're trying to provide examples to them of, of the kind of man that they want to be looking for and to be aware that there are certain men that would be appropriate to marry and certain men that would not be wise to marry. And we see a great description in 1 Timothy chapter 3 related to the kind of man that the Lord wants a man ultimately to seek to be. Now, the portion of Scripture that we're looking at It's a portion of Scripture, and we'll talk about this in just a few moments. It's initially referencing qualifications for those who desire to serve as pastors. But the truth is, the content of it, when you look at it, it's not something that's just specific for pastors. It's something that every believing man would do well to apply to their day-to-day life. It gives us an example of what it looks like to be someone who walks by faith in Jesus Christ and applies the truth of Christ's gospel to their day-to-day living. So if you would take your Bibles and open up to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 7 together. And this is what it says. The saying is trustworthy. 
If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to look at it together today. Lord, we thank you for the content of this particular portion of Scripture. And Lord, we pray that as we look at these words that you communicated to the Apostle Paul through your Holy Spirit, we pray, Lord, that we would understand what's meant by this passage, and that we would apply these truths to our day-to-day lives, and that we would walk with you faithfully as we seek to be individuals who know you and love you and demonstrate that love by how we live our lives. So, Lord, we're grateful for the privilege to look at your word today, and we pray that by your grace that you would speak to us through it. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you asked a large group of people, what kind of man do you want to be, raise, or encourage your daughters to marry, you might get more answers than you can count. In our culture right now, there are quite a few opinions on this subject. In some contexts, there are people that don't really even appreciate any kind of emphasis on manhood or even fatherhood. And there seems to be a growing preference among some people to to neutralize those terms. Now, if you asked a sociologist to list one of the major changes that has taken place in American households over the course of the past few decades, they would probably include in their list some reference to the changing role of men at home. In quite a few contexts, men aren't committed to their households or their wives or their children. Now, after reading the scriptures, as well as some of the recent research on our culture, It would be very difficult to convince me that the absence of godly men at home and in the culture hasn't been a major contributor to the crime, moral confusion, and emotional struggles we're observing in the next generation of soon-to-be adults. Now, as I mentioned a few moments ago, as a father, I think of the question, what kind of man do you want to be or raise or encourage your daughters to marry from several different perspectives? I ask myself if I'm the type of man God wants me to be. And I ask the Lord for help for my wife and I to raise our sons to be godly men. And I've already been praying about the men who will one day get brave and ask permission to marry my daughters. Now, is there an answer to this question in the Scriptures? What does God's Word tell us about the kind of men He's called us to be or raise or encourage our daughters to marry? Now, one of the things that we see right away from the passage we looked at just a moment ago, that when it comes to the answer to this question, one of the things that the Lord desires of us is that we would be men who walk with integrity toward women. 
So a man who walks with integrity toward women would be part of the answer to the question of what kind of man has God called us to be, raise, or encourage our daughters to marry. Again, look at what it says in, the, in verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. It says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, and by the way, when it says overseer here, you can substitute the word pastor or elder for that word. But it says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Now, this portion of Scripture includes some instructions and qualifications that I try to read and remind myself of regularly. Again, it's a portion of Scripture that was originally written by the Apostle Paul to a man named Timothy. And Timothy was a young pastor that Paul was mentoring. During that time, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write down qualifications that those who desired to serve as pastors would need to heed and could be examined by. But as we look at this list, it quickly becomes apparent that all of us, regardless of whether or not God is calling us into pastoral ministry, would do well to put these instructions into practice. Now, before digging deeply into the list, Paul makes a general statement. He states that an overseer must be above reproach. What does it mean for a man to live above reproach? It means that there aren't obvious areas of unrepentant sin and rebellion against God in his life. It means his conduct would testify to the nature of his character. This is the kind of man you can trust to do the right thing, even if you aren't constantly watching him. A great example of the nature of a man's integrity is how he interacts with women. And I think it's probably fair to say that the primary way that men are tempted to sin involves women. In fact, the other day I stopped at the grocery store, and to my right was a man sitting in his car near the entrance. So I'm walking into the store, the man's to the right, sitting in his car, and to my left were two women who just walked out of the store. Now, they didn't realize it, but the guy sitting in his car followed these women with his eyes like a dog watches someone trying to eat steak. And this man's eyes never never left them. He just kept staring at them. And I don't think they could really see him from his car, but he was right in my line of view, and I could tell what he was doing. In fact, any guy that would have witnessed that could tell you exactly what this man was thinking. And it wasn't healthy. And it reminds me of a caution that's mentioned to us in Job chapter 31. In verse 1 and then down in verses 11 and 12 of Job 31, it says this, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman, for lust is a shameful sin, a crime that should be punished. It is a fire that burns all the way to hell. It would wipe out everything I own. It's a pretty stern caution in the book of Job. But when you look at how the Lord encourages men to live, the Lord calls men to respond to women with a strong conviction that they are the very daughters of God. They are to be cherished and honored, not hunted and devoured. The culture that Paul's student Timothy lived in was known for treating women poorly, and it was also known for holding a very low view of the sanctity of marriage. But Paul taught Timothy that a man of God should be the faithful husband to one wife. 
not a man who makes light of the covenant he made before God at the wedding altar. I have to tell you, some of the saddest and most painful conversations I have ever had were with men who forgot to walk with integrity toward women. A godly man is called by Christ and empowered by Christ to treat women in a way that pleases and shows respect to their Heavenly Father. Another facet of living as a godly man that's mentioned in 1 Timothy 3 is found in the second part of verse 2 down to verse 3, where it tells us that a godly man is a man who yields control of his life to the Holy Spirit. Look at what it says in these verses. It describes this man as being sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. When we come to faith in Christ, we can be grateful that he doesn't leave us in the same condition we were in when he first found us. In Christ, we are made a brand new creation. We are also indwelled by the Holy Spirit who grants us counsel and comfort and helps us see things from the perspective of God instead of the perspective we once had. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to help us along the way during our brief lives on this earth, and the fruit of His presence in our lives becomes visible in all kinds of areas. If we want to live a life characterized by faith in Christ and obedience to His Word, we should make a point to yield control of our lives to the Holy Spirit. Doing so will impact the way we think, the way we carry ourselves, and the way we treat others. The kind of sacrificial investments we're willing to make in the lives of others will also be impacted, as will the things we desire. Now, the Scripture tells us that such a man will be sober-minded. He will exhibit wisdom, common sense, and in my opinion, he'll be cautious about welcoming anything into his life or body that has the power to negatively alter his thinking. He will exhibit self-control and not act like a hothead. He won't be someone who idolizes money or wastes his life vainly pursuing it as his top priority because of the mistaken belief that, that somehow money can bring ultimate satisfaction to the soul. Money's a useful tool, but it's a terrible master. And money does not satisfy the soul. The soul is only satisfied through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's only satisfied by the presence of Christ. A godly man doesn't yield control of his life to unfruitful, unwise, and ungodly pursuits. He is content to yield his life to the control of the Holy Spirit. Something else that the Scripture tells us about the life of a godly man is this. He's also a man who leads his family like Jesus. Look at what it says in verses 4 and 5 of First Timothy 3. It says, He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Over the past 20 years, I have served on various interview committees, more committees than I can count off the top of my head. And these committees consist of pastors, and our task is to interview potential pastors to confirm that they are suited for the task of leading the local church. 
There are all kinds of secondary questions we ask, but one of the primary questions I want candidates to answer is how they lead in the context of their own homes. Is the man a servant leader or is he a tyrant? Does his wife consider him to be a man who reflects the heart of Christ or the heart of Stalin? Are his children recipients of his time and loving correction or do they feel far down on his list of priorities? The scripture tells us that if a man cannot or will not lead his household well, he has no business attempting to lead the local church on a larger scale. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but in 1978, a man named Thomas Hansen of Boulder, Colorado, sued his parents for $350,000. I don't know what that would be in current money. It, it, it may be... Oh boy, maybe closer to a million at this point. But he sued them at the time for $350,000 on these grounds. It was on the grounds of, quote, malpractice of parenting. And this is what he said, that mom and dad had botched his upbringing so badly that he would need years of costly psychiatric treatment, and he felt like it was their duty to pay for it. Now, I don't know how old he was at the time of the lawsuit, but I hope the judge sent him to his room without dinner, because having been blessed with four children, my wife and I can attest to the fact that parenting is not an easy task. But still, a godly man needs to lead his family in a way that honors and reflects Jesus. He's called to be a sacrificial servant, someone who practices sacrificial love, and someone who doesn't shy away from making tough decisions. He should be honest and should keep promises, and his family should be convinced that if he says something, he means it and will do his best to carry through with what he has spoken. I sometimes look at a scripture like this and wonder about just how different our culture and our world would be if more men took these words to heart. Well, there's one other thing that the Apostle Paul points out in 1 Timothy 3, uh, in the section of 1 Timothy 3 that we're looking at today, and that's this, that a godly man in this context is a man with a reputation for being others-centered. This is what he says in verses 6 and 7. He says he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So the final verses in this section of Scripture, they remind us that a godly man is others-centered and has a reputation that confirms it. All of us, to one degree or another, struggle with pride and conceit. And in some contexts, that can become quickly obvious. In other contexts, it can linger beneath the surface. Satan is known for his pride and his conceit, and he loves receiving praise that doesn't belong to him. He's all about doing what is to his perceived benefit, even if it costs others their lives. Well, God's man should not be puffed up with pride and conceit, because that doesn't reflect the heart of Christ. Likewise, his life should serve as a visible witness to the power of Christ and the truth of Christ's gospel so that others will come to know Jesus. A man of God should always be mindful of the message his life communicates to those who don't know Jesus yet. When Jesus came to this earth, he didn't come here to get something from us. There isn't anything he needs from us. I've heard people say that the only thing Jesus was lacking was our love. But the truth is, he doesn't need our love. 
He doesn't need our fellowship. He doesn't need our friendship. There isn't a single thing we have to offer him that is better than what he already had. Because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have existed for all time with perfect love, with perfect fellowship, and in perfect community. Jesus didn't come to get something from us. He came to this earth to give something that we lacked to us. We were lost in sin and condemned to an eternity apart from him. So he prioritized what we needed, and he paid for our sin, and he forgave us of our sin, and offered us new life, eternal salvation, perfect community, and lasting joy through faith in him. A godly man should always seek to reflect the heart of Christ in his interactions with others, so that they would come to a better understanding of these realities. As I mentioned earlier, I frequently think about the kind of man I want to be, the kind of man I want to raise, and the kind of man I want my daughters to marry. And ultimately, the answer to all three questions is this, a man who trusts Christ and reflects his heart. We see this in the ways that a man treats women, how he allows the Holy Spirit to control his life, how he leads his family and how he places the needs of others above his own, just as Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for your love, and we're thankful for the privilege of knowing you and walking with you and growing in our relationship with you. Lord, we know that you bless us in ways that we don't deserve, and Lord, we know that you invite us to be individuals who look at you as our example and our Lord and the one who empowers our service to you. So Lord, we pray that throughout the course of our lives that we would be people who trust you and reflect your heart. We pray that that men in particular would understand the portion of Scripture that we just read and would bless their wives and their families and the culture at large with a reflection of your heart that they display from their day-to-day lives. Again, Lord, we know that this can only be empowered through faith in you and with your strength, but Lord, we know that you desire to facilitate that. So Lord, we pray that you draw our hearts close to you, help us to be people who know you, love you, and put you first in all areas of our lives. And Lord, we just commit ourselves to you today, and we thank you for your presence with us. We pray that you would foster this kind of living, this kind of fruit of genuine faith. We pray that you would foster it all in our lives through faith in you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all of these things, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the informal Bible study. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, uh, if you haven't had the opportunity to visit our new website yet, desirejesus.com, we'd invite you to stop by there and take a look at some of the new content and some of the new things that we have there. And one of the newest things that you'll notice if you stop by our website is this, Desire Jesus, Volume 5, the latest 30-day devotional in the series of devotions that I've been releasing, is now free on the website, and it'll be there for a short time. So grab a copy while it's free, and we hope you enjoy it. And like I said at the start of the episode, feel free to share it with anyone you think might enjoy it as well. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week, and we look forward to catching up with you again next Monday. Take care.
Jesus wants our fears to launch us toward faith then he grins and says do you trust me because together we can do this with mornings with Jesus you can start your day in a positive way find hope through inspirational stories and scripture go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for mornings with Jesus you can also download the abide app for biblical meditations at abide.com